Hey, it's Stuart McKelvey, and you're listening to Why to How, a podcast where we explore adventures in STEM. On today's episode, I'm joined by the wonderful Dominic Tremblay. Dominic works as an innovative Canadian educational consultant, having supported thousands of students and teachers in every province of the country in mathematics, science, technology, social studies, robotics, and literacy. He currently leads the Youth Science Canada Smarter Science Initiative and has also attended 22 Canada-wide science fairs, both as a student and as an organiser. With such a strong passion for STEM education, this is sure to be a fascinating conversation, especially for the teachers and parents among our listeners. Don't worry students, there's plenty of advice for you in this episode as well. Well, Dominic, welcome to the Why to Have podcast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm so pleased to be here tonight. Yes, I've been waiting for this moment for a while. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited for everyone to get to know you. I mean, we've worked together as, on Youth Science Canada stuff now for a couple of years. Um, oh, so this, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I've been knowing you for a while now. <laughs> so this is definitely exciting to uh, to share your knowledge with all of all of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm super excited. So we're going to start right back at the beginning because you are Canada yep. White Science for alumni after all. Um, and also, as someone who plays with Lego for their job, I can only imagine that uh, you weren't much different as a kid. Oh, yes. How? I've always been playing with Lego as a kid. Like, that was one of my favorite toys. Isn't it amazing that it's lasted this, like, decades and decades of children, generations of children have been able to play with the same building blocks? The same toy. Yeah, and, and the original toy are still compatible with the most recent Legos. So like people having Legos from the 80s or the 60s or the 70s, they still fit with current Lego. So that's kind of amazing that you have this uh, this toy that has lasted for so long. And mm-hmm. you've got people like a lot of adults who are into Lego. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you see recently they actually changed the packaging on Lego to make it look more adult, like those 18 plus sets? Oh, really? Sets? Nice. Yeah, they make, yeah, it's all nice and black and they make them look more professional so yep. adults don't feel bad like, oh, I'm buying a kid's toy. <laughs> uh, so they gave it like a really adult look so that adults would feel like at ease. Like, yeah, I'm normal. I, I'm buying Lego. It's normal. There's an 18 plus set yeah, exactly. for me. It goes all the way up to 99 yeah. on the box, right? So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, as we start, as we start getting better at keeping people alive, they'll have to change that age bracket. I think to 120, 150 yeah. plus. I know, I know. Like to me, like I can't imagine at 99 because that's usually what it says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having to stop with play with Lego, like I feel like I'm going to be 101, 102, and I still want to be playing with Lego. I, I think it keeps your mind young mm-hmm. when you play with Lego for so long. Yeah. So, so what was young Dominic like then? Curious kid, I imagine, oh. always playing. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I, 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 I was what you call a nerd. Yeah, yeah. I have to say it. Yeah, yeah. We so all like sports was sport like uh, team sport was definitely not for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did enjoy uh, a lot of like the sports like uh, around the lake. My parents had a sailboat, so that kind of stuff I was really into. Hiking, uh, going on the Thousand Islands. But uh, when it came to school and the toys and the stuff I was interested in. Yeah, electronics, Lego building were definitely part of uh, of my interest. 
And I'm so glad that like my dad from an early age, my dad used to own an, elect an electronic store. Yeah. Uh, and from an early age, like he showed me circuitry and I started building stuff with, you know, resistors and LEDs and condensers. And I learned about electronics from a very early age. And now I'm doing it more and more with students. So I feel like those skills that even like back in the 80s, uh, it wasn't still to me is so useful in my life in my career so I, I i'm really happy that my pants did that yeah and my pants got me interested in science fair and uh i uh, participated for five years which include three canada-wide science fair and one international science fair uh and i'm so glad they did because that has also become a job like lego became a job using electronic is also part of my job and science fair is also part of my job so to me like i just pushed those passion as a kid all the way to being 45 now and i mean let me tell you speaking from experience i can tell there's at least a few people out there in the world that are very jealous of of you getting to play with lego <laughs> all day as, as work and getting to oh, get yeah. science fair as a job as well so and, and, and it's pretty rare you go in a classroom mm -hmm. and you tell the kids, well, today I'm your guest and we're going to be using Lego in the classroom. It's I never get kids who go, ugh, Lego. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, yay, this seems to be fun. Oh, it is. It is definitely fun. Um, so talking about other things from the 80s and 90s that have stuck with you for life, science fair. Talk to me a little mm -hmm. bit about like what you were feeling during your first couple of science fairs. Like what was what was going through your mind? What sparked the the curiosity and the interest in your first couple of science fair projects? Yeah, well, my first couple of science fairs, I wouldn't say they were awesome. They <laughs> didn't even make it to Canada wide science fair, but it gave me the drive to looking at other around me and say, "Oh my God, I want to do that." The first one I actually did with my sister. Mm -hmm. And it was like mostly like a research project about the benefits of using seaweeds. There was, uh, I didn't actually do any experiment, but I saw everyone doing experiment about me and I thought, oh, wow, this is so cool. So my second one, I was uh, studying uh, <clears throat> a weather forecast and I actually sent those balloons up in the air above uh, my parents' house to collect data uh, about the, the weather forecast. Uh, which was still like very simple project. And it's like year number three from looking at projects around me that I finally made it to Canada White Science Fair. You know, a lot of people go, oh, I made it the first year. For me, I feel like I worked for it. Like oh, yeah. I had to wait three years to go to Canada White Science Fair. But once you go once, you are addicted. Like this is an addiction. You want to go every year. And your goal is how can I figure a cool project? Yes, to be good to society and the environment and do something in life but also to get to the Canada-wide science fair. This is like a big reward to, uh, to get selected. Absolutely, and, and that hasn't changed all these years later. The Canada-wide science fair is still this amazing big opportunity for, for youth across Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah, and you talk to youth across Canada that has been to Canada-wide science fair, and that's part of their goal every year, like to come up with a cool project to actually get to go to Canada-wide science fair. So if you can remember your your piste de resistance, you know, the last couple of science fair projects you did, was there something in particular you think that separated it from your first couple of projects that did end up making it to Canada Wide Science Fair? Definitely, like I brought the experiment mm -hmm. uh, as part of it. 
and I also brought uh, computer science as part of it. And that may sound weird to say like, oh, you were doing projects in like the 90s and it was computer science. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, <laughs> actually one of my projects, I uh, was doing experimentation on uh, composting and having the best factors and the best chemical composition to get the best compost. Uh, and I turned that into an app. And an app that would run on an old like Windows computer from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, but that's even before Windows 95. Uh, and the way I made it, it was uh, using a graphical user interface, which was pretty rare at the time. Mm -hmm. Like that was the years, uh, years of DOS and Windows 3.1. That probably means nothing to you, but for our, our kids older listening. audience, <laughs> <laughs> for our older audience, like uh, there was no, no such things like having Windows and graphical user interface. And I built something where uh, the, the user could drag and drop there are different elements like, oh, okay, I put some banana peels in my compost and I put like, uh, let's say half a kilogram of it. So they would drag little pictures that would show all of that. And at the end it would say, well, your compost is quite good, but it's missing some carbon or it's missing some nitrogen. You should add this and this to your compost. So that was one of my projects that I presented and the one that, uh, um, that uh, went to Canada White Science Fair. That's amazing. I mean, I want to use that app now. <laughs> where, where is that these <laughs> yeah. days? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I have it on an old floppy disk at home. So for the but I don't have any computer. <laughs> like I have to find an old computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the kids listening, yeah, that's that's the, the save button. The save button. That, <laughs> yeah, the that save was button. A thing. Exactly. <laughs> and those big floppy things. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I still have the project on an old floppy disk. So it'd be kind of cool to find an old computer and try to run it again. Oh. Yeah, I think, I think that would be like, yeah, yeah, like young Dominic back from the 90s and getting back this project. Yeah, maybe sell the idea to uh, an app developer. Like imagine making an iPad or an iPhone or yeah. an Android app of that. Sell it for two bucks or something. I think a lot of people would be interested. I mean, I certainly would be because yeah, yeah, compost can be hard to uh, 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 understand. And uh, uh, think composting is popular now. Mm -hmm. Like back in the 90s, there was not a bin at the street where oh, you no. could put your compost. But now it's like all the municipalities have those, you know, green or brown bin where you can put your compost stuff. So I think I was kind of revolutionary by thinking about compost back in those days when it was not a big thing. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I'd still and, call you a revolutionary. <laughs> one of my other projects was uh, totally different. Actually, when I introduced that project to my teacher... He told me, Dominic, this is not science. You can't do that. And I kind of didn't listen to him. Good. Uh, and I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was about using all the knowledge that we have of cognitive psychology, uh, short-term memory, long-term memory, chunking of information, perception, and trying to uh, improve and make more uh, better magic tricks. So it was about magic tricks and how you can use science, uh, especially all the research we have in cognitive psychology to improve the efficiency and the performance of magic trick. So I, uh, let's say there's something you don't want your audience to remember. Well, you need to have as long as possible before you bring back this information in the magic trick. Well, what's that limit? How long do you need to go? Because you don't want the trick to last half an hour. So how long do you need to to make sure that they don't remember that little piece of information. So I was working on, you know, short memory and work, working memory and actually doing a controlled experiment with large audience 
uh, using uh, those magic tricks. Because, yeah, young Dominic also had an interest in magic. Oh, yeah. Super cool, young Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So Dominic... and, and, and that's where I could come out of my shell, like doing yeah. magic. Yeah, the nerd could come out of his shell and actually interact with a crowd and with public. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked on the other episodes as well about the importance of having hobbies and other interests outside of science and outside of science fair, for example. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about how that builds connections in your mind that other people might miss because they don't do these other things. Um, but yeah. the other key piece to that is just, as you said, it's if you're passionate about something, it makes it much easier for you to come out of your shell. And with passion comes enthusiasm. And enthusiasm, that is what drives curiosity and the desire to, to persevere through, you know, all those setbacks when a normal person, you know, their teacher says, this isn't science, don't do it. A normal person would be like, oh, okay. But you were passionate about it, you're enthusiastic, and so you persevered and, and in the end had a cool, cool story and a, a cool science fair project. And whenever I do uh, like uh, science fair workshops in schools, because you always get requests for that, mm -hmm. uh, that's what the first thing I do. Uh, I tell students, like, take something that you're passionate about. And it, it, it doesn't need to be something that people see as science. Because you can always do science with almost any hobby, any subjects, any things that interest you. Whether it be cooking, you can do science. Video game, you can do science. Like uh, You like uh, uh, to ski, you like to snowboard, you can do science about that. There's science behind everything. So take something that even magic is, is something that you're passionate about and that will make a much better science fair project because you'll be invested. You'll be invested in what you want to do. So that's always the message I send to kids. And I always bring back this example. That my teacher says magic. That's not science. Like try to find something in chemistry, physics, biology. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, you can always find a way to make controlled experiments in any field. I feel. Yeah, I think that's that's a key point. You know, it's science is a mindset as opposed to a very specific field of study. I think a lot of people exactly. get siloed into that thinking where you have to be doing physics or chemistry and you know you see stock photos of a scientist and it's always someone holding up a beaker you know with some sort of colored yeah. fluid in it but it's always like the <laughs> crazy mad scientist yeah. the old man in the with the lab coat but that, that's <laughs> but it's science. not like that yeah one thing i actually say in my workshops when i uh, train teachers is uh, i always mention the lab and then i say hey the lab let me define it the lab is not the school lab the lab can be your garage, it could be your backyard, it could be the beach, it can be your garden, all your kitchen. All of these places can be a lab where you explore something. It doesn't need to be the Bunsen burner and the mm -hmm. beakers. Yeah, I yeah. mean, on episode two, Stella was telling us about how she was doing all of her sampling in her garage. She was bringing sewage in from the from the local lake and she was doing DIY at-home science. It, it wasn't in a, totally. a fancy research lab at a university. Um, and I think that's... One thing that COVID brought, because teachers had to teach remotely, well, science, you can't just do lectures. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I've do, done a lot of consulting during uh, COVID is how can you use what kids have in their kitchen, their garage, and their backyards to do science? Like how we can actually take advantage of this stuff that, you know, most schools don't have a garage, a kitchen, and a backyard, especially like if you think a school downtown Toronto or downtown Montreal, where it's uh, only asphalt, mm -hmm. th th there's no such thing as a backyard or a garage or a kitchen. So why not take advantage of that? Like during that year of COVID, we now can use those labs that are different than the one we have at school to do other type of science. 
Yeah, and a, a shameless plug from uh, from my end. We do share some uh, fun at-home experiments on the YSE Twitter and Facebook pages if anyone's interested. Um, totally, yeah. yeah. So there's definitely options out there. And I mean that I think that brings up a good point too, especially when you talk about having passion for the subject that you're researching, for example. Is this sort of stuff that you're learning in science class or like how are you actually getting the knowledge you needed to be doing your science vet projects? So the method you do learn in science class uh, but I think uh, the topic is something that you need to have the drive. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of schools who make like science fair mandatory, let's say in grade five to eight. Uh, but some of the students uh, don't choose a topic that interests them or even the teacher will try to stay with stuff that they feel safe. Like they feel safe teaching that. Um, whether instead of saying to the students like, hey, go about your passion, like find something that you're passionate because the teachers say, well, what if they choose a topic that I don't have any ex- expertise in? Who cares? Yeah. The goal is, are they doing a controlled experiment? As a teacher, do you totally master the scientific method? If you do, who cares what subject they'll take? Uh, they can work on those subjects using the you know the scientific method and making sure that they have the proper inquiry process. Yeah, and I mean, we'll touch on smarter science in a in a little bit as well, which obviously ties in quite well to this whole project-based learning oh, side of things. I was going to plug it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't worry, we'll get onto that. We've got a whole section on that. Um, but I guess, yeah, for, for teachers, their role is almost changing from what it has been the last you know, decades and decades. It's less about memory and expecting the teacher to have any sort of expertise in certain areas. And it's more about... Mm-hmm. Can they teach the student the proper process, so the proper scientific method, but then also how can they support them? So how can they link them to people that have the expertise or, you know, have the resources or the know-how to actually help them in a more specific case, use-based case? And so that segues very nicely into my next question was, did you have any particular mentors or supporters, uh, idols that you looked up to that you sort of emulated, that you reached out to to support you through your, your science fair projects? I totally did, and I'll have to name him if that's okay. Absolutely. Because his name, he has the last same last name as me. What? Trombley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name was Carole Trombley, and this guy was amazing. Like, he really inspired me, but he's also the one who told me not to uh, to uh, to uh, use magic as one of my topics. But other than that, like, he was amazing. And you know, when I finally got selected for the International Science Fair with that project, mm-hmm. like, it was so much fun to say, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was amazing because he was not doing the science fair project for me or, or for us. He was running a science club, uh, so not everyone at my school was doing the science fair. It was optional. It was people part of the science club, and uh, those friends that I met at the science club, I still see them like more than once a year. Like we're still best friend uh, twenty five years later. Wow. Actually, more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, one I even sent you his name for a possible guest on a podcast. Like I, I see these guys all the time. It's so much fun. Except during COVID, mm-hmm. we've done a lot of Zoom parties. But uh, got a lot of Zoom yeah, parties. Like, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I feel like this teacher, uh, in addition to giving us like the drive to do a science fair project, was also making sure that we were helping each other. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why we became such good friends and we decided to keep doing the science fair together. Not, we each had our project, but it was like almost like we were the team, like we were representing our science club. We were proud of it. Yeah, I really like that. And I think that's, that's definitely a key takeaway for any of the teachers, parents, or, you know, possible mentors listening to this episode is that 
you don't have to just focus so much on the science fair project and you know assisting the the student uh, in you know whatever they need, but that that whole idea of you know helping them build relationships with their fellow students and you know even if it is with other mentors or anyone else in the industry that they're studying or is yes building that relationship and building that network for students so that they're sort of set up for success when it comes to science fair projects and then 25 30 years later when they're still recommending their yeah. their, their friends to to an australian guy that's hosting a podcast for a science fair organization exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we've all grown into all different careers uh, all very different like one is a lawyer one mm-hmm. is a medical doctor one is a rocket scientist and me who's a teacher uh, and we have all four different jobs but we still like hang out together and we still talk about stuff that happened to the science fair like we we were good kids but we also did a few bad things and... <laughs> <laughs> parents don't want to hear that <laughs> no 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 but I, actually there's one thing we did that uh did you know there's a, a policy at Youth Science Canada that it is based on one of the things that we did? Is that really? Back at Canada White Science Fair in 1992, I remember it, Sudbury, uh, we actually opened a store, like a hospital, hospitality suite. No alcohol, I promise. There was none. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we, had like a, we bought like soup and chips and crackers and a, a, a bunch of stuff, and we rented uh, video cassettes. Movies yep. <laughs> for a young audience. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, then we were charging for people to come and have uh, food and enjoy the movies. And we actually decorated the room. And right now there's... Um, a- a- and then we got a little bit in trouble. The committee actually said... Uh, because we said, well, we can't close the store. We invested like a couple of hundred dollars on groceries and stuff. Uh, and they said... Well, if you close the store, you're going to get to stay at the science fair and we're going to buy back the groceries from you guys. So we were fine. Uh, but there's a, a, a policy right now at Youth Science Canada that says no one can open, except for the host committee, can open a, a hospitality suite. And this is still like if you look on the, the Youth Science Canada policies, and that policy was implemented in 1993, the year after this event. So I'm kind of proud to know there's a policy that... <laughs> has you know our names on it <laughs> doesn't have officially but you know and kids that cool. that is why we have the finalist lounge every night during <laughs> probably yeah because they realize oh there's a need people want to hang out <laughs> yeah absolutely and again it comes back to you you're building relationships is it's that other component of canada wide science fair and science fairs across the country that it's not all about the science and this comes up in every episode it's all about the people yeah. you meet and the relationships you build and um even when you talk about your friends all having different careers it's you've all come from the same sort of base level where you had you had an interest when you were younger in science fair projects and despite the fact that your your lives have taken different career choices because they're still your friends and you still stay in touch you now have their perspective on things that are affecting you so you know you're learning all of these things from all of these different areas and different industries and different interests Um, all of that plays around in your head it creates connections so that when the next novel problem comes up all of a sudden you have this extra information that you wouldn't have if you hadn't have built these relationships earlier in your life. Totally, exactly. And I find it interesting when you mention like these days, uh, uh, information is easily accessible. Uh, I've seen a lot of uh, a, a switch in uh, the way we teach because we used to teach so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of people like ask any adults, like, do you remember the first 20 elements of the periodic table? Or do you remember the speed of light? They don't remember that information no. yet. They had to memorize it. And, and, and these days, if I need that information, because sometimes I'll need it, uh, I have my watch. I can ask Google. I can ask Siri. I can ask Alexa. So why focus on that? It's not very useful. Let's focus on those skills that will let you learn new things when you need to learn things. And I guess that's where your, your job as an educational consultant plays such an important role and things like Smarter Science plays such an important role in, in changing the direction of the education system within Canada. I guess just before we jump to that point, though, the last question I had for you based on science fair projects in your childhood was, um, it does still tie in quite well, though, is what, what did you learn though, through doing science fair projects? And how do, you, how do you think that influenced your career choice to then go into teaching and then eventually educational consulting? So I definitely learned that uh, you need to, um, to, to, to work on the process. It, I've also learned how to, you know, set goals and set deadlines and making sure that, you know, all the project management mm -hmm. skills I've learned to science fair because science fair, you had a deadline, you had to be ready for, you know, that day X. And actually at the time you had to be ready much earlier because you had to ship your project uh, a week ahead because it would take like, a week to get there. These day, kids just bring a roll with their paper. At the time, you had to ship plywood oh, by yeah. FedEx or Purlator. Mm -hmm. So it would take about a week to get there. So you had to be ready. So all those, uh, you know, time management skills and project management skills, I've definitely learned through Science Fair. And, you know, this is where it's important. Who cares the content? Uh, it's getting those skills that will be useful for a career, for what you want to be doing. So to me, that's... That's the takeaway I have from uh, from the science fair, getting those uh, those skills. Yeah, the the, the mindset and, and the other big piece of that, obviously, is communication skills, right? Like you, the the best projects aren't necessarily the best science. It's how well can you communicate exactly what you've yeah, done exactly. and what the results are and why it matters. And I guess why it yeah, matters yeah. is the is the most important piece <laughs> that's sometimes missed. I think when students are just so focused on like the numbers and the science and you know getting the project done, they forget the bigger piece of that is what's the point like why does it actually matter and, and if you look at our most recent template that we have for the science fair mm -hmm. the last part is so what yeah like you did that so what like what why did you do that uh, and i find a, yeah a lot of students to focus on their own project but you know what will this lead to that's a very important now talking of time management skills uh, i will not lie to you I've done late night and late evening just the day before the science fair. I actually remember one very specific one that is so funny. Uh, my parents have a, had a sailboat and most of the time we would live in the, during the May, April, May, June, July, we would live on the sailboat instead of living at the house. And I remember working on my project just before going to the science fair. And I don't know if you remember those printer at the time that goes, Oh, yeah. They were dot matrix printer. Yeah. You still see them sometimes in airport or yeah, car yeah. rental places. Uh, so that's the printer we had. And I had to print my posters. But it was like midnight on the sailboat in the marina. And I go, I need to print my sign. And those printers are so noisy. So I was in the cockpit at the back and trrr, 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 printing my sign like last minute to get to the science fair the following day. And I will always remember that day where my parents were like, what are you doing? Like, people are sleeping in the <laughs> marina. 
yeah. So, I mean, hopefully you've yeah. learned your lesson by now, though, when time management is is on point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you always, <laughs> it's always good to say, oh, I have this uh, for 8 a.m. tomorrow. Oh, let's wake up at 5 a.m. and finish it tomorrow morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always fun. You make do. Yeah. It's all, Liv- living on the edge. All about being creative, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Being an adult is just being creative and being able to problem solve. Yeah. So totally. let's talk a little bit about being an educational consultant then. So after all of these mm-hmm. lessons you learned, science fair, growing up, playing with Lego, you now teach people, teach teachers how to teach. <laughs> Say that five yeah. times too quickly. It, it, it actually didn't start like that. It started as a teacher. Mm-hmm. So I was a teacher for 13 years uh, in a small French school in uh, Trenton, Ontario. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed my career, enjoyed teaching. I had my, you know, my science club yep. because I thought... That's what got me into science fair, the science club. So let's create a science club in my school, uh, which I was pretty proud to send uh, my team at the regional science fair every year. Uh, But yeah, after teaching for 13 years, I thought, oh my God, I I think I can also bring something to teachers. Uh, And, uh, you know, I love working with the students, but it's kind of nice also to bring, you know, those ideas and that mindset uh, to teachers. So that's when I started my career as an education consultant i actually had uh, you know the show intervention no i actually had uh, oh it's a show where they uh you know all the family comes to help uh, someone who has like addiction problems oh yeah okay yeah yeah. and they do an intervention so i actually got uh, 11 years ago i said i'm quitting my job and i actually had an intervention those friends from the science fair all came to my house in trenton they drove all the way from montreal and joliet and the u.s and they came and they say, you're crazy, don't do that. Like you have like a job that you make close to $100,000, pension plan, like it's guaranteed, you'll never use their job. And now you're gonna start your business. And I say, yeah, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. So they actually came for an intervention, but they didn't succeed. <laughs> if they listen to that, they're gonna laugh by <laughs> listening to that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I decided, yeah, I, I wanna start my business. I'm gonna start doing consulting. I'm gonna work with teachers. Uh, I won't have a boss, I'll have, clients across Canada and that's how it started I mean and thankfully for us you didn't listen to all of your friends again like just like you didn't listen to your mentor sometimes it's better not to listen to them and and follow your heart you know yeah yeah and I actually at that time I called our uh, current uh, executive director at Youth Science Canada and I say I'm starting to think of uh, you know creating my own business and uh, he says yeah well I, I may have some contracts for you that you might be interested in working on and that's how I got more involved with Youth Science Canada and with the Science Fair. Again, networking, so, so very important. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and students who are going to Canada with mm-hmm. Science Fair, that's your chance to start networking. Oh, that's yeah. where you can get to know all these people that it will be useful in life to know them. Even at regional fairs or at your school fair, your, oh. your district fair, like, yeah, yeah. meet the other people because these are the people that already have an interest in something that you're super passionate about too. Um, so exactly all the hard all the hard bits are, are gone like the icebreaker is tell me about your science fair project and then yeah. and, and and there are always opportunities and you know sometimes you're in a committee meeting not only science fair like any committee meeting any business any nonprofit, and you go oh we have this project we need someone mm-hmm. and then it's all through networking yeah absolutely and so for your educational consulting, what is it you're actually teaching teachers? Like, what, why, why should they be listening to you? I mean, they listen to you because you've done 13 years and you are now 
super certified as a Lego educator and a Microsoft <laughs> instructor and and everything. But but what what is it you're actually hoping to get from your workshops? I think I bring a lot the idea of uh, you know focusing on those global competencies that are useful across the curriculum. Doesn't matter if you're history or uh, a math or a chemistry or a dance teacher. Those skills are useful across the curriculum. And just a little secret, uh, that Smarter Science poster, and I know we're going to talk about Smarter Science a bit later, uh, but it says Smarter Science on top and it has a bunch of skills. Um, well, I've decided one day to do a history geography workshop. So I chucked the word Smarter Science on top and didn't tell them it was a, a science poster. And we worked through all these skills in history and geography and teachers never realized that the document I gave them was actually for teaching science. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. That shows how cross-disciplinary these skills are. And if you focus on these skills, they're going to be useful for any topic. Yeah, it's all transferable. And it's all about, again, that mindset and that process is much more important than the knowledge you just are kind of being forced to remember. It's not, it's not about the knowledge. It's about how you get to the knowledge at the end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I bring to teachers. I also, I think, bring my energy because some teachers sometimes just need a little push mm -hmm. <laughs> to start exploring new things. Uh, and I'm constantly, uh, I, I want all the kids and all the students and the teenagers to think you're going to be a lifelong learner. Yeah, you're going to high school, you're going to middle school, high school, and then uh, possibly college or university. But after you're done with that, you're still learning. And I see myself learning until I'm 120 years old, for sure. Uh, but you're always learning. And if you, the world is changing so much that if you're not constantly learning at one point, like you're so behind. Uh, so the, this memorizing of stuff is not useful necessarily, but having the skill to, know, uh, to, to, to learn how to learn, basically. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm trying to bring to students. That's what I'm trying to bring to teachers. Learn how to learn. Yeah, and that is the most important thing you can possibly learn in life. On yeah, yeah. And we, we live in a world where it, they make it easy. Mm -hmm. In a world of like YouTube and having access to search engine, they make it easy for people to learn how to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can just YouTube it now. Um, and <laughs> exactly. I, in learning how to learn, I guess the, the baseline level, the foundation needs to start at something that they already understand. So it has to, it has to be some, somewhat of a level of comfort and then you just build on top of that. And yeah. not even just using this as a metaphor, building blocks, you actually use Lego quite a lot in your workshops, which is why you become a Lego educator. Uh, what yeah. was it about Lego that was attractive to you as an educational consultant? Why why Lego? Besides your, your obviously well, love for it. Well, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people don't see Lego as being an educational tool. They see this as just, you know, little plastic toys. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, some teachers will use the more advanced stuff like the Mindstorms and stuff like that. But just a basic building block. Like uh, there's, um, there's um, a series which is called the Six Brick. And it's a bunch of activities that people can do in the classroom with only six regular two by four bricks. And it's pretty awesome how like such a simple tool can bring so much learning in a variety of topics. And it's not only in schools. Have you heard of the Serious Play system? Which I? A Serious Play system? No. Please well, tell me. Yeah. Kind of cool. 
Yeah, so it's actually open source now. It used to be, uh, yeah, you had to be certified trainer by Lego, yeah. uh, but now they made it open source. And it's a system for businesses uh, to use in their boardroom when it's time to brainstorm. And the idea is that you bring up your ideas using the bricks. Nice. So whatever you're thinking, you try to express it to the bricks. And Lego says you can do a lot of communication you're just using your hands. It doesn't need to be always voice. And uh, it's being used by so many organizations to uh, actually, we should use it when we have board meetings at yes. Science Canada and Canada <laughs> Science Fair, where you come up with ideas and you try to re uh, represent them. And also, you know, the problem when you have uh, those brainstorm meetings is you just bring up ideas too quickly. You don't have time to think about them. When you spend 15 minutes working on a build with your Lego, the idea just keeps you know, evolving. So once you're ready to present your creation, your ideas have already evolved since your initial thought. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, so, 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 so Lego is used, like, at a very young age, I used Duplo in kindergarten, mm -hmm. uh, then the, 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 the regular Lego and also the robotic sets. But it can also be used in adulthood, even in businesses. Yeah, and so that's why I was attracted to the brick. Like, I thought, oh, this is oh, so yeah. cool. Uh, I mean, yeah. I actually had Lego Mindstorm kit as a teenager. I, I was at a, a science camp during high school where they showed us how to program the robot tracer line. You know, you see it all the time. I was I was hooked. I used to research and build robots all the time. You know, there were... Probably like Oh, yeah, there like you that. go. Exactly <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, you know, so, so, you know what's sad? It's retiring June 2021. <gasps> Are they replacing it with something yeah. else? Or? <laughs> Uh, yes, the Lego uh, Spike Prime. This one. Oh. It's uh, more colorful. Uh, it's pretty cool as well. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff in the new one. But yeah, that's going to be the replacement. Oh, nice. Okay, well, I'm glad they're yeah. I'm glad yeah. they're replacing it with something newer. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, like I still have it in a container under my bed back in Australia at my parents' place. Um, and there's been similar workshops at the Canada White Science Fairs I've been to. There's there's similar workshops at any sort of science camp, science fair, science presentation. Um, why, why is it that robotics in particular is so important for students to learn? Like, why is that the go-to for, for all of these science interest camps, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it does bring the STEM uh, project. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of robotics where, like, you follow the line, pick up objects. Mm -hmm. and, and I do work with uh, robotics competition. But I also enjoy using robotics to solve real-life problems. Like, uh, you have a problem, you want to solve it, you use a robotic set to solve that real-life problem. Like, you forget to feed your dog, you create a system that will use the motors and that will use a sensor to know when, you know, <laughs> the food is gone and when to, you know, refeed your dog automatically. So, robotics is all about having sensors and reacting um, with actuators. When you think about it, this is basically like our, our human body. We have our five senses and we have our muscles and our bones to, to do basically what a robot would do. Um, now, one of the things that I really enjoy telling kids is uh, robots are good at the things that we're not necessarily good at. Mm -hmm. uh, robots and computers in general uh, and vice versa. Like uh, it's super easy with code to build something that will get like the first 200 prime numbers. It takes a lot of time for a human being to do that. But have you tried uh, getting a robot to create a mug that will feed you water? It's Or just picking up an object, like in robotics competition. It's hard to pick up an object 
a two years old, a one years old can grab an object. It's hard to teach a robot to do that. Uh, and that teaching is uh, so beneficial for students, like having to think of the sequence of instructions and uh, the communicating with the sensors and communicating with the motors to put the right pressure, like having to think of all of that. And you think a one year old, two years old can do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty in interesting. So I really like to have those, uh, you know, reflection with students as well. What I really like about robotics too is that when, when faced with a problem, it forces you to A, follow a process very similar to the scientific method and it's very procedural, like these are the things you need to do to get to an end result. But within that procedure, there's boundless amounts of creativity required to solve each individual So step. many ways to do it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why you go to the, uh, let's say, the World Robot Olympiad and none of the robots solve the problem the exact same way. Yeah. And it's the same problem. So it, it's kind of interesting to see that. And it's very hands-on. So, like it's, it's, when, you, when you make a mistake, it's very obvious you made a mistake. It's, there's, I think theoretical science is quite difficult for a lot of students to really feel a passion for early on in their lives because they can't see a result. They don't know if they've done something great or done something wrong or just incorrect uh, at the time. Whereas robotics, it's very much hands-on. You very much see the result of it straight away. And I mean, there's just something special about like putting in all of this hard work and then just seeing it pay off at the end. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's one thing I actually tell teacher. You know, you're tired of marking, telling yeah. students you have the right answer, right answer, wrong answer. With robotics, you don't even need to mark. The robot will tell them they wrote the wrong answer. Yeah. They, they got the wrong outcome. That's not what they want. They, they need to know. They know they need to go back. Whereas if you give them like just boring math problem or physics problems in a, in a workbook, well, they don't know if they have the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> the, the robots will tell them, oh, you got the wrong answer. And also, I'm, I find it interesting you call it the scientific method because we've often, one of my colleague and I, we've often called um, the uh, coding and robotics uh, an accelerated scientific method. Because you make a hypothesis, you check it, it takes a few seconds. And quickly, mm -hmm. you have an answer. With science, it takes a long time. But with robotics and coding, you make quick hypothesis and you do quick checks and come up with a quick conclusion. So it's like a very fast cycle of hypothesis and conclusion. And it's creating, once again, those transferable skills that will serve you in all aspects of your life. Like that's, oh, a, yeah. that's where we should yeah. be living life. We should have a hypothesis, exactly. test it, get the result as quickly as we can, move on. Like that's how all decisions should be made. Uh, I mean, not all decisions. Mm -hmm. Most decisions should be made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and another thing that I love about your approach to life is that you like to play with ideas and just have fun with novel creative creations. Um, early in the pandemic, for example, I couldn't stop laughing at that video of you wearing a Mindstorm creation at the grocery store that would beep at people or buzz at people when they were closer than two meters. Too to close, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because at the time the limit was one meter uh -huh. and two meters if you have symptoms. And like a week later, it was like if you have symptoms, you're not even allowed to go oh, to no, the grocery yeah. store. <laughs> and, and, and no symptoms was still two meters. So it, it was interesting to build. And yeah, and you see a lot of students will actually start using those sensors for a variety of use. Like I use the ultrasonic sensors, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I put, if you haven't seen the video, make sure you go and watch it on my YouTube channel. But I had like four uh, ultrasonic sensors around me uh, and it would constantly calculate the distance and it would beep if people would come within two meters. And obviously I had some fun going to the grocery store and looked like a nerd. Yeah, yeah. It was part of the fun, but uh 
you know, if you think uh, like uh, a couple of years ago, we have Manning Whitby at Science Fair who did uh, something using the ultrasonic sensors to help uh, uh, people who are blind mm -hmm. uh, to orient themselves using those ultrasonic sensors. So it's kind of cool that like basic robotic sensors can be used in a variety of ways. Uh, absolutely. And also, I guess, how important is it then as well to to allow students an opportunity to just play around with things to ex you know explore their creativity uh, and just see where it leads like how do we how do we foster this sense of curiosity in our youth yeah yeah and, and also like we were ta talking like a lot of these sensors well you need to know how they work mm -hmm. but these days like I, I grab a sensor i've never used okay what are these pins for it's it's like informational uh, skills being able to find that information it's there like someone created an article a post a blog a website about that sensor somewhere that's the magic of it yeah and i think so science fair science club is such a good way for students to both have the time and to sort of develop that innate curiosity develop that passion for something and just go off and explore and see what they come up with yeah and, and we see more and more of those uh, steam or stem space in schools mm -hmm where they have like all those sensors and Arduinos and robotics kits and 3D printers and stuff like that. What I have a problem is when they start, you know, using those spaces just to build, just for building, mm -hmm. where there's no intention. Uh, and it's fun to tinker, but to use a lot of plastic just to print little uh, CN Tower keychain, that doesn't, makes me super happy. But like one of the things that I've been working with one of my colleagues, uh, we do fixer space instead of uh, maker space. Um, so yeah, you still use the 3D printer, but like as an example, my fridge, uh, the thing that holds the shelves broke. <laughs> well, I had to, you know, use Tinkercad and try to recreate that part and then 3D print. Well, now there was a use for the 3D printing and it was actually good for the environment. Even though I use plastic, my fridge shouldn't go to the dump. Yeah. I, I used that fridge longer than it would have uh, been used for. And actually, Samsung was charging me a fortune to get that part. So, so I'm kind of glad. And when you think about it, you need way better skills to do a project like this where I had to reproduce that part because it needs to fit there. Like perfect size. Imagine printing a keychain, like CN Tower keychain. If I make it two milliliters more or less, it's still a keychain, who cares? But for that, I had to use like real skills. So students, when they do real stuff, they have to use their real skill. It's not just for the heck of doing it. So I kind of like those uh, maker space, but you know, switch them into fixer space or into stuff that solves real life problem. It's all about that, that piece we mentioned earlier, the so what piece. What, why? Exactly. Have intention with it. Why are you doing this? What, what does it matter? What are you fixing? What's the problem you're solving? Yeah, yeah. No. Like on Friday, I was working with students uh, remotely, uh, but we use a water level sensor for a dog bowl to make sure that we don't forget to uh, put water in the dog bowl. And that was like a, we were going through all the steps together, but now I gave them a task like for next session when I meet them, they have to come up with a use of a sensor in real life. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be the full working system, but you know, think of a use of a sensor and program it. Uh, and maybe that's going to become a project, maybe not. But at least uh, they're starting to tinker with those uh, those tools. I love that. That's great. And now I guess I would 
I'm sure I'd be in a lot of trouble from the boss, our boss, uh, <laughs> if I left out talking about smarter science on a YSC podcast. <laughs> uh, we touched on it just briefly before, and I touched on it briefly in our first episode with Anne Makazinski. But did you want to give us a bit of a context around what is smarter science, what it aims to achieve, and why it should be an important component of the provincial education system? Yeah, yeah. So smarter science is actually... Um uh, a framework that was created uh, originally by the Thames Valley School Board, but then uh, further uh, developed by Youth Science Canada. And the goal is uh, we had a lot of stuff for students at the time, and we had the Canada-wide science fair. So we had a lot of programs that, you know, were directly working with students, but we didn't have anything to work with teachers. And we found that creating lesson plans for teachers was not the way to go. Teachers needed to know about the inquiry process. How do you run an experiment? How do you design an experiment properly? How do you get students to come up with an invention? Because, you know, I've been in the classroom where you ask students start a science fair project and it's more of a nightmare for the parents mm -hmm. than it is fun for the students. So if you, throughout the year, you train your students to always be curious and know how to do an inquiry, when it's time for the science fair, it's nothing new. So the idea is to teach your own curriculum, the Ontario curriculum, the BC curriculum, the PEI curriculum, the Nunavut curriculum, doesn't matter. You teach it through inquiry where students are used to questions themselves and design their own experiment. And in many provincial curriculum, it says design your own experiment, but teachers don't do it. They love the recipe. They know if they do the experiment the way it's said in the textbook, it's going to work. And they don't want to bother by having students design their own experiment. Uh, but it's scary for a teacher to know how to design an experiment. So what we created is a set of posters uh, and a method uh, that brings that inquiry in the classroom uh, where students have a lot of freedom, yet they do have a framework. And that may sound like counterproductive, but you have a lot of freedom on how, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it but you still have to follow that framework to make sure that you do proper science. Because when you give a lot of freedom to students, it could be improper science. It could be like if they're not controlling variables, if they are not having a large enough sample. Um, so we've designed those posters um, and uh, yeah, they're being used more and more uh, by provinces. Uh, New Brunswick recently just included Smarter Science Framework as part of their curriculum, so that's a big win. Uh, and, you know, in a way, Smarter Science is a open source a framework. So any textbook publishers, any uh, provincial uh, organization, any school boards could use Smarter Science uh, to better their science program. We do offer at Youth Science Canada the workshops and the support for a fee, but those posters and the framework is available for free on our website. Yeah, what I like most about Smarter Science is it's that project-based learning, um, which we've talked about on all of the episodes. Science and STEM can't be siloed. And I think it's, it's, it's been taught traditionally in a very siloed approach. You get a chemistry class, you get a physics class, you get a biology class. Then you do history, you do geography, and all of these other pieces completely separate from one another. Smarter Science yeah. aims to sort of break down those barriers because science breaks down those barriers. So, you know, just like choosing a science fair project based on a passion, you know, the way you should be learning, the way you should be educating youth these days is by getting them passionate about a certain topic and then teaching all of these subjects under the same umbrella. 
Exactly. And what we see in Smarter Science is that, uh, yeah, if you keep doing this method to teach your own curriculum, so you're still covering your provincial standards, mm -hmm. uh, when it's time for the science fair, students won't see this as a big thing. It's going to be like, oh, that's just another inquiry. Just another. <laughs> Except this time, I'm totally free to choose the subject. Yeah. That, that's the big difference. And uh, if any teachers or any educators in Canada is interested, uh, just visit the, the Youth Science Canada and the Smarter Science website, and you're going to see that uh, all this material is available and will help you uh, better structure your science inquiry in your classroom. I'll make sure I add that, that URL in the, the show notes for everyone listening as well. Um, and I guess moving on now to, to your role as an educational consultant and knowing the work that you do with us at Youth Science Canada, uh, it's obvious, especially within the, the past year of you know, the COVID times, just how important you see the role of new emerging technologies in influencing the education of our youth. Uh, what are some of the newest software solutions, apps, programs that you've currently got on your radar? What sort of caught, caught your gaze? What is it you're teaching? Um, and, and, you know, what are the ones that are potentially interesting for educators and parents, but, you know, maybe even students for, for them to note as well? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, definitely there, there are a lot. One of the, the things that I actually really enjoy is the idea of uh, making the uh, formal lab report disappear. Mm -hmm by replacing it with something like the Flipgrid. Uh, Flipgrid is an app that, it's almost the TikTok for education when you think about it. It's to design videos that are fun, quick, uh, by, and imagine doing a, a lab report where you are documenting the process of your science experiment in a short Flipgrid video. Imagine like a short TikTok video if you don't know Flipgrid. Uh, it's a, a much more fun way but also in a lab report, like it's very standard uh, with the list of steps uh, that you have to include. Whereas with a some, an app like Flipgrid, or uh, I would say like Explain Everything would be a similar one, where students can record videos and they can even like use their finger or their Apple Pencil or something like that to annotate as they're videotaping. Like see, oh look, the bubble's coming out and you can actually draw an arrow while it's happening. It's kind of a, an amazing way to communicate. And we talk a lot in Smarter Science, the idea of communicating your science experiment. And COVID has changed that because now for two years, no in-person Canada-wide science fair, students have to find innovative way to communicate their results. And also, even when we had the in-person science fair, <clears throat> I feel like judges only see the end product. Whereas if you're documenting through multimedia and video, you can document the whole process from start all the way to the end, not just your final results. And I find Flipgrid is a great one. The other thing that I think is amazing for science is how easy it is now to collect data. Like you, you used to have, and I know like probes manufacturers probably hate that, but these days it's so easy to have access to electronic probes and sensors at no cost or low cost. Think of your phone, no matter which brand you have. It has accelerometer, gyroscope, light sensor, sound sensor, sound level sensor. What else? Uh, uh, magnetic, uh, the, uh, the, the, the compass. Uh, it has so many built-in sensors in there and I would highly recommend the Google Science Journal app. If you haven't downloaded it, 
Download Google Science Journal app. It's available on Android and iOS. It's free. And you can access those sensors inside your phone for a science experiment and collect data over, you know, a certain amount of time and, and graph it directly there. So imagine, like I was thinking, all the physics experiments we were doing as kids. We can now use the accelerometer inside a phone to collect this data instead of buying stupid probes that are super expensive. And uh, one of the workshops I do with teachers is how to use Arduinos or micro bits and plug in sensors uh, and then create their own tools. Like, why would I buy an expensive pH meter when I can buy a pH probe <laughs> for almost nothing online and code my own pH probe to collect data for me? And I feel the process of you know calibrating the sensors and creating the interface to collect your data, students are learning way more than buying an off-the-shelf pH meter that they find you know, in a science uh, lab uh, uh, business for, uh, for teachers. So that's, those are the things where I see like, wow, this is pretty awesome that we can do that now. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of gems in, in, that, in that short little bit that you got there. The first piece is science is just becoming so much more immersive. Uh, I think that's very clear for everyone to see. And, you know, the whole idea of documenting the entire process through multimedia, for example, uh, it just mm -hmm. brings judges, for example, or, you know, the audience or anyone reading it, it just brings it so much more in your face. It makes it personal, makes it immersive. You feel like you're right there with them doing the science or, you know, the results can be made that much clearer. Um, the second piece... Um, Citizen science, has just, citizen yeah. science has just exploded throughout the pandemic, oh, for yeah. example. Um, so, yeah. You know, even just to get raw data, you know, there's so many citizen science apps and websites out there that if you're looking into migration patterns of birds, animals, if you're looking at science projects, for example, you can collect data from people all across the world so much oh, easier. Yeah. So much easier. Yeah. And, and now phone companies are actually including that as a possibility. Uh, the Apple Health app, you mm -hmm. can design an experiment and submit it and then collect data from, you know, millions of people <laughs> that have this phone or this watch to, uh, and, and obviously they do accept to be part of the experiment yeah. and you need to provide the informed consent, but that makes it available. I think one of the last thing I would say is uh, just the idea of uh, computer assisted uh, design, CAD in 3D. Uh, I remember my first year teaching uh, they bought AutoCAD for my school and it was $700 yeah. a license. Uh, now with Tinkercad, online app, free, free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can do 3D design, you can do circuit design, uh, you can do 3D design and circuit design with coding all in one app for free. So I think uh, technology has just made it so much easier for people to explore their passion and do science and technology at home. Yeah, and, and the other piece, you know, going back to what you said before about designing your own probes, for example, what that's doing, and I guess what we've been missing for the past couple of decades, it's bringing back the importance of understanding why you're doing things. Like, how does something actually work? What, we, what we're missing so much from society right now is that you just go to the store and buy something. You don't worry about how it actually works. Like, you pick up your phone, there's no understanding about how any of it really works. No, like, no one really knows exactly how it's all working together. But when you're starting to design mm -hmm. your own probes, even if it's just purely out of monetary necessity, um, all of a sudden mm -hmm. you get, you have to understand all of this theory, this underlying theory and the foundation. 
and you're able to build on that as you progress into your career and you know you find the passion that you want to stick with so the last question i have for you and that it relates directly to this is what are some of the challenges facing canadian youth that you can see at the moment in relation to their education uh, well, I think uh, the most important thing is uh, schools need to start focusing on those global competencies uh, and stop focusing on just learning facts. I think that's extremely important. And you've seen some uh, some provinces actually go the inquiry route and decide to go back to memorization. And I think that's kind of sad. <laughs> uh, but I, I think a school also need to uh, start networking and educators starts to uh, start networking uh, to learn from each other. Um, I've, uh, it's always interesting to, uh, because as part of my career, I've moved a lot more also to the international now and seeing how different things are in different countries. Uh, I think uh, students exposing themselves to other countries, even online right now, don't need to go there. Uh, you have better empathy for other people and you can also help solving problems. So I think this is what our youth should be looking at, trying to, uh, you know, get to be a global citizen know what's happening in the rest of the world and using their scientific and technological knowledge to support people from across the world. Yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, as, as many challenges there are facing, you know, particularly the youth of today, I have so much faith and optimism in, in that whole generation. Uh, I'm so excited to see where the future of science comes and, you know, with all, with all of this advancement, with the, the passion that they show, not only for science, but also just for getting involved in, you know, political discussions and, and just being more aware as, as global citizens. I think it's going to be yeah. exciting times ahead. And, and that's interesting you mentioned that because also another thing that they need to be careful is, uh, we've heard it a lot, fake news. Mm -hmm. So to, to be more critical thinker when they see information online, and I think, yes, there has been an explosion of citizen uh, science, but we also need to make sure that we have proper science as well and be able to, uh, to have a critical eye when you look at science and make sure that uh, you look at the source. And all of those skills uh, still need to, uh, actually are more important now that uh, things are published online everywhere. So I think that's important for our students to have this science literacy because we've done a lot of literacy and numeracy over the years. But I don't think we've done a lot of science literacy. Yeah, and now is never been more important. Oh, totally. Exactly. Well, Dominic, this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I mean, just <laughs> I always love having chats with you. I think you're, you're such a fun personality and you bring such a playful approach to science and, and the scientific method. Uh, you know, we really appreciate on behalf of You Science Canada just how much work you put in for us. And with Smarter Science, I truly think that is... It's going to have such a positive impact on, on the Canadian education system. And, and I really do hope that youth appreciate what that actually means for them and the way they do learning in the future. Well, thank you very much for uh, welcoming me on your show. It's, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I mean, I hope we get you back on again sometime soon. Yeah, I think it's time for me to go and build a Lego set. <laughs> Perfect. I need to go buy some Lego. Yeah. Cook, cook, cook dinner and then build a Lego set. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us in this episode of Why to How, a podcast where we explore adventures in STEM. If you liked this podcast, consider leaving us a like on our social media. It's just ysc.sjc on Facebook and Instagram, ysc underscore sjc on Twitter. Leave us a comment with your favorite part of the interview and let us know your own thoughts on the topics we discussed. Please do share a link to the podcast or YouTube video with friends who you think would love to follow along 
And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review as it really does help us reach more people. We'll have another amazing guest for you on the next episode, so stay tuned for more. Until then, have a wonderful day and stay curious. Thank you.